0: Hey listeners, thanks for tuning in. This is Sarah McMaster with Exploring Education. Today I'm joined with some of our phenomenal Washington Elementary teachers. Leslie Cook, who teaches kindergarten at Washington. Hey Leslie. Hi. And I'm also joined with Adrian Soto, one of our fourth grade dual immersion teachers. Hola. And Miguel Salcedo, who teaches our fourth, fifth dual immersion combo at Washington. Hey. Thanks for joining me. Um, Leslie, Adrian, and Miguel are three members of our um, instructional lead cohort within Redondo Beach Unified School District and our instructional leads are a group of dedicated educators who have come together across the district to take a close look and a deep dive into essential standards and best practices that our district needs to employ this school year as we meet the challenges of remote and distance learning. So today we're going to spend some time talking a little bit about mistakes and why they're just so beautiful. One of the things that we get to see as educators in the classroom is our students working through struggles. We get to see them try, try and try again to solve problems all day long. At home right now, our parent community is, you know, going through that same process and it might be overwhelming sometimes to see your own child struggle so much. But what we're gonna talk a little bit about today is why it's so important to allow your child the opportunity to
1: engage in productive struggles. So Adrian, what do you have to say about this? So in the classroom and among us teachers, we're, um, we constantly refer to productive struggle, which means that um, they may not get it on the first try, but as long as they're continuing to work through it and try different strategies and slowly progress, that's what matters to us. So practice is progress. Uh, there's things that within you know, a minute after the lesson, it, they get it, they do it, they're able to apply it and remember it. Um, as opposed to other concepts, takes a little bit more time. So they may feel frustrated, which is fine. And we try our best to acknowledge that frustration and give them the strategies to, to get through that. But um, it's, it's okay for them to not get it the first time, as long as they are trying to apply those strategies, asking questions, reaching out for help from a peer, from, from us, from, from you. Um, part of that productive struggle is Giving them the ne- the appropriate prompts to get them through that. So, I know um, none of us like to see anybody struggle, right? Our, our first initial thought, especially as parents, is to jump in and, and solve the problem for them. But there's no learning involved in that, in that sense, to some degree. Of course, we don't want them to be having um, a, a complete meltdown and because everything shuts down at that point. But if they're struggling, they don't understand, it's good. Prompting would be and across the uh con- um, sorry the content is like what makes you think that what do you do next let's go back at the directions what are the directions asking you for what are the key words in these directions or in this word problem um what do you remember from your notes let's look back at your notes or is there a video let's go back at the video pause throughout so all of that you're not necessarily giving them the answer. you're giving them you're kind you're guiding them just when they started to walk you're kind of behind them in case they fall but your hands are right there beside them um that's that's what we would like um parents to do and i know some have asked well i don't know how to help them and um, but prompting and it will get the wheels spinning they may not get the answer but at least their wheels are spinning
0: and i think that adrian just to kind of piggyback off of what you said Right now in our classrooms, you know, in this virtual format, there's a lot of front loading that our teachers have to do sometimes, right? You have to kind of give a lot of directions to kids, tell them where to go. And then sometimes what is happening is that the kids are, you know, listening, right? But then they might log off of their Zoom call and go into Google Classroom or Seesaw and they might say to the parent, well, I don't know what to do right? So part of the role of the parent at home is like you shared, Adrienne, is, you know, kind of asking those guiding questions to your child so that you're encouraging them to start to do some of that problem solving on their own. So, well, you know, where can you look, right? So how can you help yourself? Those types of questions that At this point in the school year, we're seven weeks into distance learning, you know, your your children have been going to the same platforms over and over again. And of course, we're sprinkling in new platforms for them to trying out and, you know, we're diversifying the experiences. But Google Classroom is the place where your child should be going if they're in third through fifth grade. Seesaw is the place where your child is going K-2. So as much as you can, parents who are listening, you know, kind of direct your child into asking them the questions of, you know, where can we find that information, right? So that you're leading them down the path of, you know, guiding themselves towards independence. I think that's really important. Um, so, can I ask, can I absolutely, ask yeah. I was thinking about going back to the front-loading
2: in which, you know, not only are we front-loading kids, but right now we're also front-loading parents. That um, universal weekly planner that we're sending out each week is so detailed um, by all of our teachers. You know, we're giving the learning expectations of what they're supposed to complete both in a small group and you know, or in their whole group lessons with their teachers. But then there's also that independent piece too that we're also telling them what they need. Um, often teachers are giving materials or saying this is when you're going to complete it. Teachers are even front loading the students in the live sessions. Maybe they'll open up that document to also give them a brief working of it. And so I think as a parent myself to two kids at Washington right now, um, I also know that it's really important to take those weekly planners and go through them with you know just a fine tooth comb, and even for my oldest, who is able to do things a little bit more independently, I'm able to talk with him about what his learning objectives and the things he's going to need for the week. That's also going to help make him successful when it's his time to be on that independent time away from his teacher.
0: And and it's it's helping to build, especially for our older students who are ready for that. That. Sit, that conversation that check in, you know, either at the night before or in the morning, the morning of with their check with, um, you know, their parent who has had the opportunity to look and see like this is what look Like for your learning day, you know, uh, what do you think you need to be prepared. Right. So you're putting that on your child. You're helping them build, you know, independence and I've talked about this a lot before on the podcast, but, you know, critical executive functioning skills that are going to supersede, you know, the math lesson, right, or the social studies content for the day. When we think about the skills of planning and being prepared and being organized that our children are going to need every day of their adult lives moving forward. So they're getting the opportunity right now to practice that. And what we need to do as the adults in their lives is come up with opportunities to foster that independence.
1: And part of that, like I, I talk about in the classroom is they're learning what type of learners they are. Some are visuals. I do a lot of my notes with color coding and symbols because that's how I learn. And that's how I can kind of check off my list in my head. Like, okay, I'm going through these concepts, these steps. But I tell them like, you know, if, if you're visual, write things down, even though you have the agenda, you can print it, you can post it, but writing it again and another piece of paper and a post-it or in even your own um, notebook agenda, that's another reminder in your head. And then, or the physical need of checking things off. Red is, I need to do it right now. Blue is like choice. Like just try different strategies. And as us adults, we just think back, like in meetings, how, if you have meetings, like what helps you remember deadlines and pass it on to, the, to your kids. And if that works for them, great. If not, try it again. Maybe doing um, a exercise while you're going through the, the, like jumping jacks while you're going over the agenda, something, just try things out because once they get to middle school, there's going to be a lot more deadlines, a lot more things to juggle, and it's going to be tough. So I tell the kids, I know we, I'm in fourth grade, we have two more years, but I want you by the time you get to middle school, you have a better idea of what works for you in organizational skills and how to keep up with your deadlines. So that way, that's one less thing you have to worry about in middle school. But that's another um, thing I've, I've suggested to parents: is buying them an agenda and writing it down, and that way, that's another way for parents to check off. Okay, let's sit down, let's check that off, and having that that satisfaction of like crossing things out, no matter just one thick line, go hard on the crossing out. Whatever's gonna make them feel good that they accomplished their work for the day.
0: Thank you. Those are all some really great tips for our parents listening. So we also want to today talk about essential standards. Parents at back to school night and in your child's you know, weekly planner and the emails and communications that our teachers have been sharing, they've been you know, talking a little bit about essential standards. But what we wanna to do today is break that down. So when we say that a standard is essential, what does that mean?
2: Um, with essential standards, it really means it's representing the minimum that a student must learn so they can continue to reach higher levels of learning. So with essential standards uh, within our instructional lead teachers that had met throughout the summer to really focus on our essential standards, we focused on three criteria areas and that was leverage, endurance and essentiality. And leverage was that we wanted to make sure that that standard makes an impact across all of the subject areas that are being taught by your child's teacher throughout the school year. The endurance that we were looking for is that it appears also in other grade levels. So that same standard might appear K through five and a lot of our essential standards, they build upon each other. And so that um, endurance is really important for us um, in that area. And then essentiality is just that they have those foundational skills that allows a student to get that next year of instruction. And so with the essential standards, what was really important is to look at our language arts standards and our math standards. And within our language arts standards across the district, uh, we chose depending on if it was um, English or if it was dual immersion, depending on the standards, we really looked at all three of those criteria to make sure that those essential standards fit um, for the language arts and for the math section. And so it's actually helping us kind of um, wrap and spiral a lot of our learning. With our content, and we're able to even integrate other subject areas into. So, if it's a language arts writing goal, that language arts writing goal could actually be carried through social studies, it could be carried through science, it could even be carried through math when you're working on maybe uh, response to word problems or critical thinking skills in math. Um, So, that's where kind of the essential standards is just that minimum they must learn to reach those higher levels of learning.
3: Um, Yeah, I mean, and I even. Um, when I think about these essential standards, I almost like to think about like when you play sports, right. And you, and you go to like football practice, um, and in practice, you don't jump into, you know, doing a scrimmage right away. You're not playing a full football game. You're doing drills and you're kind of running these essential skills that you need to be successful in the game. So you might be kind of doing sprints. You might be, um, you know, cutting corners. You might be, you know, um, like squatting against the wall. You're like, why am I doing this? This is not football. Like, I wanna, you know, get tackling. But you need those foundational skills in order to kind of get to that next level. And so this is one thing that we really focused on a lot when deciding what these essential standards were um, and how, you know, what Leslie was saying is these are those skills that they will need to be successful in the next year and that they can apply to multiple content areas, multiple grade levels. And so when we think about reading, like, are you able to, when you read a text, can you from that get the main idea? Can you identify those supporting details? Can you talk about what you read? And we're teaching those reading behaviors. Um, And so they can then apply that to almost any text that they encounter from that point forward. Um, And so with that said, when we are designing our live lessons um, on Zoom, we are making sure that our live lessons are also Centered around those essential standards, they're discussion based, and that discussion is student-centered, or student-driven. So that way, you know, we can now assess: okay, are they understanding it? Can they do this? And then we can plan from there based on those again, those standards.
0: And this, what you ju- what you both just said, that reminds me of one of my favorite quotes that I um, have learned a long time ago. Then it's just stuck with me, and when I was learning. Um, basically kind of like how to be a reading specialist, which is what I was before who I am right now. But one of the things that I learned from one of my mentors is the saying, teach for the future, not for the book, right? So when we think about teaching reading, I'm not teaching that book. I'm teaching the reader how to think about any text. That they encounter right and so that's kind of a similar concept to the essential standards right i'm taking a critical eye and i'm you know helping these kids through these experiences learn how to analyze and think w- with any text that they see that comes their way right or any math concept that comes their way so and that's you know i wanted to share that that's one of my favorite quotes um, okay. Sarah, it was also, like, really amazing,
2: too, is just working with a variety of teachers across the district that were multiple grade levels and being able to really, like, dive deep into these standards and really look at them, you know, to where we were really having to defend certain standards to make sure that they, they did meet those criteria. And, you know, we might have another teacher who disagreed and being able to, like, have, like, critical discussions you know, that really are for our learners and for our students and even our own kids for a lot of the teachers who have kids in the district. And, you know, so just seeing those essential standards really come to fruition across the board and seeing how, you know, one standard maybe really was needed in a a first or a second grade, but then maybe by third grade, there was a different standard that was more um, conducive for their needs for the essential, essentiality and endurance.
0: And that's a good point too, Leslie, because I think that sometimes as educators, we get into these patterns of behavior, right? Where maybe we've taught this certain grade level for 15, 20 years, right? And we and what, what's happening now is that we are all taking a really close and critical look at what we're doing with our students and how we're spending our time. And, you know, questioning ourselves, like, am I spending my time on Something that is really going to matter for the kids in the long run. So, you know, parents, this is something that we want you to know that our district is really working towards. So, you know, I think that's excellent. And I love just looking at the concept of what we're doing with the critical eye. It's, it's well needed in education for sure. so let's take a minute and talk about the assessment piece. I think that it's like the A word, right? That parents kind of sometimes, and kids, they sometimes are like, ah, assessment. But, you know, let's talk a little bit about how we're assessing learning and why we're doing it.
3: Um, yeah, I mean, so I mean, and I always mention that I'm, I'm transparent with my kids. And, you know, even when we were in the classroom, I, I showed my kids the standards we were looking at. And I'm like, this is exactly what I look at when I'm assessing you. And, you know, I always tell my kids, I don't like to use like the T word, the test word, because it's kind of like, it, it doesn't really, is not really um, telling of what exactly I'm doing. Um, when I'm assessing, I'm figuring out what it is that you need, that I, or what is it that I need to do to help you meet those standards. Um, and so I'm like, guys, everything that we do in my classroom is an assessment. And they're like, well, okay, but is this for my grade? Is this for my grade? um and so i'm like well everything you do in my classroom is being assessed from the discussion to the writing um you know to your interactions with your peers um, you know i'm i'm assessing multiple things when, when we're in the classroom and so i'm like guys we we kind of have this like fear of assessment of like oh no this assessment is going to be you know the like this is just be the one that kind of either like makes or breaks me and i'm like guys like take a look at it as like these assessments are just inform me, right? They're not meant for me to label you as, okay, you're a one, you're a two, you're a three, you're a four. Um, and like, you know, telling guys, yes, your grades are important, but because they communicate to your parents, your progress, that is why those grades are important because they communicate your progress to your parents. They are not important because, well, if I get a four, that means I'm the smart kid. You know, because at the end of the day, you might see a kid who has a two in trimester one and they have a two in trimester two, but that doesn't necessarily show the progress or growth. Um, So even when we're having those class discussions and just kind of tie this back into what Adrian was saying with the productive struggle um, in terms of like, I want to tell them guys, I just want to know what you think. Even if you think it's wrong, just say it. Cause sometimes I see things that are completely wrong. And I'm like, Well, you know, at least I I threw myself in there. And I have kids who even when they participate, they're like, I might be wrong, but. And so just getting them to lose that fear of of participating, because I'm like, okay, I like what you said about that. Tell me more. And with that, I'm even assessing, okay, they got this part. Maybe I need to provide them with more prompting questions or guiding questions to get them to meet this standard. Um, Thank you.
2: I think, Miguel, you like make a perfect uh, point of the whole mistake piece is like mistakes are beautiful. There is a reason why we can learn from our mistakes. I think as adults, we probably learn better from our our mistakes. I think by teaching our kids the same thing, you know, that they can learn from their mistakes and they can tweak. But then I also like that, you know, you also said about just tell me more, like informally assessing them. Can they still keep talking about it? Can they defend their reasoning? Can they add more to their thought or their thinking? And um, you know, if they can't, then you know that that's an area. And I think that that's probably my thing is getting to know your student. You know your students who are raising their hands. You know your students who are constantly participating. Um, and I think you know during any form of, of assessing, yes, our purpose is to really just get to know your child. It's part of our role is to learn about the learner. And kids need that opportunity to, and to build that confidence in themselves. And I think, you know, especially in younger years, some kids who maybe have been in a preschool setting have maybe a little bit more confidence coming in on certain skill sets. But just as quickly, other kids, you need to be able to build those kids up to who maybe have never had that experience. But they might've had a different life experience that actually can be brought into the classroom that can help teach and can help mold and guide and facilitate learning in a different way too. And, you know, so I just, I feel in the assessment piece, it's not always just that test. And I think as parents, we could probably remember back when we had that T word, that test, and we had that red mark all over the paper. And, you know, I I can connect to that. And, you know, it was really a disheartening thing as a student to see somebody critique something that you would worked so hard on, but in that moment you weren't in the right mindset or you didn't have the right learning. But like at that point was that test over or did we go back and try to keep learning from it and fix those mistakes? And I think that that's what we need to do, you know, is continue to just build upon what they either know or they don't know. But that's my job now is to help give them that guidance and facilitate instruction to help better them as students too.
1: Yeah, and it's the, the constant, I tell them like, I just want to know what's stuck in your brain when it comes to like, you know, the, the formal assessment you know like individual work it's like just what's stuck in your brain because if it's stuck great we can move on if it didn't stick and it stuck for that one lesson but didn't stick two weeks out i need to go back and see what strategy i need to try out so it can stick in your brain and and i go into also um with the whole thing of like everyone's a different learner everyone has a different brain So when I throw out strategies, I'm constantly like, try this strategy. And then, you know, for this problem, you can use whatever strategy you feel comfortable, whatever works for your brain. Um, And I know um, there's a sense of competitiveness, even though we as teachers don't push it with the kids, they're still like, I'm done. And so it's like, you want to promote that. Yes, like, good, you got it done. You feel proud, but then also not affect the student. That does take longer. Mm-hmm. So um I talk about like, you know what, there's some concepts and some things that our different brains need different marinating, just like when we're cooking or your parent is cooking. Like sometimes you can sprinkle some lemon and you're good to go. That was a quick marinating type of add flavor and you're good. As opposed to like a Thanksgiving dinner that you marinate the turkey for a day or whatnot, um, that takes longer so one person just um I think it was Miguel who mentioned this it, it might take longer for one than the other so uh, like if somebody was struggling trimester one for place value and math they may be scoring fours and it's it just they're getting that lemon sprinkle when it comes to fractions in trimester three or four, uh just three I don't know why I said four three um Or vice versa, you know, some students start off really strong with place value, they know the multiplication facts, but then we get to geometry, which is a very different concept, they're struggling, they need that longer marination. So it's always constantly like, yes, promoting that, that, um, that productive struggle, and when they get to that goal, and they do good, but always giving themselves that, that grace of like, okay, I don't get it yet, that keyword of yet. And um, I, I constantly hear like, I'm not good at math. And that already just brings down their confidence and shuts that things down. So it's like, well, I'm not good at this yet, or I'm. Uh, it takes me longer to to work through this, and that's okay. Um, but that constantly like promoting that confidence and letting things, quote unquote, marinate. Um, and we're learning also how long does certain things take to marinate for your kids' brains, as well as our our for parents and for ourselves to to teach in this new world, we have to also adjust our own instruction and and marinate with some stuff. I love
0: the I love the analogy there, Adrian, of marinating and um and not not that I cook a lot, but I do (laughs) throw that out there. Well, you know, whenever I think about kids and the expectation that all kids might be in the same spot at the same time, it kind of makes me think about, you know, my experience as a parent. And I know you and Miguel aren't parents yet, but Leslie and I are both parents and you know not every child is going to walk at 12 months to the day when they're when they're growing up, right? And mine and my daughter was 15 months. You know. Yeah. So, and as parents, we kind of see that and we know that, right? And we kind of know our children as learners in that way. But we also need to take a step back and honor our children's path of growth and development as an academic learner as well. And. I know we're going to talk a little bit about comparing in a couple minutes, but really just not comparing your child to others, but then also honoring their path and how, like Adrian, you said, you know, some concepts need to marinate with some kids longer than others. It's the same thing. So we can't expect every child to be fully proficient at a standard at the same time. Right. So our standards are just a way to kind of keep us moving in the right direction. They are the path, but everyone works through the standards at a pace that is manageable for their brain, which is important. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about evidence and accountability. A lot of the times we and we hear this from some parents. Well, how do I know that they're learning right where's my proof we live in this like proof-based society, right? So part of it is just being confident and honoring the path of your child. But then also, you know, there are some kind of signposts along the way that really as educators, we can say, yeah, here's my proof. This kid's really starting to pick this up. So when we think about evidence of learning, um, what are you looking for?
3: Um, so I mean typically when we are looking for evidence of learning, this can be, um, multiple things. And as I mentioned before is um, everything we do is being assessed um, in terms of we're using all the information we're getting from our students uh, to inform our teaching. And so this, again, this evidence might be just observational data where we are in a small group discussing. Um, And, you know, personally, um, I do a lot of small groups in my class because I feel like if I'm working with five, six kids at one time, I'm able to quickly assess, okay, as we're discussing, right, and so I I can have a more intimate conversation with my students um, as we're talking about a text, as opposed to having a class of 28 or 32, where I'm like, oh, wait, that kid never participated. I don't know what they think, or I don't know if they get it yet, and they already signed off my Zoom lesson, Um, and then aside from that, when they are submitting those, um, those Google Classroom assignments, kind of that's more evidence, right, and when they're submitting things maybe on Edge Elastic or um, even like the questions that they ask you, like, you, you know, it, it's evidence, okay, like, are they asking clarifying questions or are they saying, I don't get it, right? So like the types of questions that they ask you as well, um, also just is that evidence of, of learning and maybe they didn't necessarily learn what molecules do or how molecules are formed, but they maybe learned exactly, you know, how to, um, how to troubleshoot, through, through something they were um, struggling with, or maybe they, um, they learned how to reflect on their own learning. And that's something that I work a lot with my students is reflecting on their learning. And I even had um, a student recently kind of say, hey, listen, um, I didn't do very well on my math assessment from like last week, but now I know what I did wrong. Cause I talked about it with my parents. And actually I was, <laughs> it's like, you know, I, I noticed that I just, I was putting the zero in the wrong place the whole time. And, like, that right there, like, they're building number sense just with that reflection and, like, going over kind of their mistakes and tying it back into, like, these are those beautiful mistakes we talk about. And, if like, we have this, it's okay to make mistakes. And even as we tell each other, it's okay to not be okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think right now it's totally okay to not be okay in the world.
3: And and, and it's okay not to get it because everything that, you know, that we are producing um, and then we have them create some flip grids, we have them, you know, write, we have them, um, you know, we have them like create maybe like a visual diary that we have them do. Even through those, we're assessing, can they follow instructions? Are they answering every part of the question? Um, And even I'm leaving voice notes, like as comments on their work. And some of them are, have downloaded that extension and now they're leaving voice notes for me. (laughs) That's great. That's evidence. Okay, like again, they're learning that technology, right? Yeah, for sure. And I think it's also that
2: are they going back to those notes? You know, sometimes I think in the lower elementary, you know, especially with Seesaw, something that's great is we can give video feedback as well as we can give voice feedback. And we can even use the tools on Seesaw to show a student maybe a mistake that they had made and why and be able to explain it more. And, um, you know, are they going back to those? Are the parents also going back and listening to those too? To make sure that they understand, you know, some of the feedback, or just actually see, you know, that we are checking in, and sometimes on Seesaw we might give them a little heart, and we've seen it, and we know what it is, and we're looking for, and then we might pick that one assignment that we're really giving critical feedback and, um, you know, a response that is more meaningful um, on the evidence of learning. But I think what's really important too is as teachers we do not compare student versus student we really are looking at each child individually as learners we're differentiation we're differentiating instruction based on your your child's needs and i think what's really you know important is the same thing as um you know i've, I've heard this i've seen this on social media where you know a parent's, you know have said well remote learning in the spring is different from what it is right now and i think um you know it's something that we need to you know be careful on is not comparing what happened in the spring, that was, we were, we were putting a band-aid on a quick fix, um, where we've had time to process, we've had time to collaborate and work together as units, you know, to really put a cohesive effort into making sure we're hitting the essential standards that we're teaching an appropriate amount of minutes that aren't going to, you know, in a way become Zoom zombies um, with, with their kids, you know, in learning and I think, you know, just know that we really think about in evidence of learning your child's strengths, what also their needs are and how their own pattern of growth continues to flourish. And again, someone's flower might grow a lot quicker (laughs) than another child's flower, but it doesn't mean that they're not blossoming. And I think that that's something that you really have to um, like focus on as a parent is they need the grace to be able to struggle. They need to be able to, to give the grace to be able to fix, you know, that beautiful mistake and work through it, whether, you know, they, they were right or wrong, that's okay. But I think, you know, as teachers, we're having to give ourselves grace. <laughs> as um, parents, we're having to give ourselves grace. Um, and I think just, you know, even for you as a parent, please give yourself grace in this too. Um, we are, as teachers, I think, making adjustments in our schedules. In the classes that we're um, doing, the way we're designing, you probably have seen a lot of different schedule tweaks along the last, you know, few weeks because we really are trying to find what works for our group of students. And again, like what may work in my class may look very different from what is in Miguel's or Adrian's class because of the different needs of our students. And so I think that that's really just important, is you know, know that like we are constantly communicating as grade level and also just as an entire school to really be cohesive and really make sure we're all like hearing each other's like even strengths and weakness areas of what's happening on our side of things and how we can tweak it and make it better. And I think those conversations are so beneficial for us as well that we kind of take a step back and we can reflect as as educators as well too.
0: Well, thank you, I, I appreciate that. And I think that hopefully that what you just said about giving yourself grace will resonate with our parents right now. And even just the concept of giving our kids grace as well. This is hard on them. It's hard on us. And they've never done this before, right? So we need to give our kids the opportunity to, you know, just settle in, right? And learn that it's okay to make mistakes. And they really, truly are those beautiful opportunities to learn. And in fact, so much sometimes I think we want to celebrate the mistakes that they make, even and then picking themselves back up and getting back on the bike, right? Um, more so than even the times when they had a flat road and they just got on and it was easy breezy right because it's a lot harder to climb up the hill or or pick yourself back up when you've fallen than it is to just you know ride your bike down well let's talk about we're in southern california so you know ride your bike down the strand (laughs) that's a lot easier than you know riding your bike in the hills of pv right so we have to be thinking about that and thinking about um Right now our kids are climbing some pretty big hills and we, we just wanna you know, give them the grace and the, the kindness and opportunity to get back on the bike when they fall off as well. And let them know that it's okay to do that, right? Mm-hmm. Well, Adrian and Miguel and Leslie, I appreciate your time. And um, I think we covered a lot of really important messages that we want our parent community to be hearing right now. Um, and I just wanna say thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And parents, uh, we hope you tune in uh, often and listen to Exploring Education. So that's it, listeners. Life isn't always a flat road, sometimes it's a bunch of hills, one after another. We hope that this episode made you think, made you reflect. And reminds you to give yourself grace and honor those mistakes. Pick yourself back up and get back on the bike. And tell your children the same thing. You can follow us on Twitter at WA Explorers and on Instagram at Washington Explorers. You can also find out more about our school and our community by going to our school website, Washington.RBUSD.org. Keep exploring and keep it real.